Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're once again in Chapter 6, learning about theories, talking about theories, talking about how uh, science is really hard, and it's really hard to get through this chapter, but we're, we're covering <laughs> it in Mitch Stokes' How to Be an Atheist, where we're trying to be good skeptics at the very least, we're sober skeptics, and we're trying to understand what exactly is the nature of science, what exactly a theory does, is what the influences are. And so uh, we're currently looking at kind of how our worldview um, affects not only uh, the things that we um, postulate in our theory, but also what uh, what we observe. Yeah. And, and uh, it's kind of a radical notion of what we think uh, science is or does. Um, but we have to remember that scientists are people and people uh, come at things with favorites and values and worldviews and assumptions and, and anything to do with people is pretty much messy <laughs> yeah. right yeah. which i think i almost think that there's a, a book which postulates a, a deity that says that humanity is in a fallen state and uh, needs to get uh, right ordered in order to have a proper understanding of his world but uh, I, I can't come up with the name of that right off so we'll stick with this book um, and uh, we're uh, smack dab in the midst of the chapter real science is hard which is uh, chapter six and so uh, we're going to be finishing that up today and uh, we'll be moving on to, um, to to the results of science after that. Yeah, so. yeah good. So we ended up last time uh, talking briefly about how our, our theory-laden uh, our, our observations are. What we observed is in, is influenced by what we observed is in uh, what we observe is influenced by the way we believe the world is mm -hmm. and the way our theories are. Right? Theories influence observation which influences theories, which influence observation. <laughs> and so we have this kind of a circular type of thing, right? Where so, the earth is at the center that right. I am at. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. So the next thing he wants us to be to understand is how hard it is to kill a theory. No, no, no. I, I've seen this. Like the scientist <laughs> sees things, postulates something. It doesn't match his theory. And, and then he wow, says... Right. Goodbye, theory. I'm going to find yeah, a better yeah. theory. No, no, that's not the way it works. Deciding huh. which observations count or against the theory isn't all that straightforward, oh, and he tells us, right? I've been lied to my entire <laughs> <Yeah>. life. <laughs> so theories are extremely difficult to kill is, is part of what he, what he wants us to understand here, right? He says, suppose you're experiment, experimentally testing a theory, general relativity, relativity say, uh, the theory has told you that you should expect to find that light bends as it travels through empty space. Now suppose you perform an experiment and lo, light does bend. Mm -hmm. So this counts, if anything does, as support for general relativity. But under determination, as we saw last time, implies that this result is also consistent with a number of possible theories right. about what may be happening, right. a number of possible of explanations about what may be happening, mm -hmm. right? So the theory accounts for this, but it also does not account for uh, other theories being wrong. Right, right. So yeah. you, the, the, the great theory that you could have is saying uh, uh, general relativity uh, explains this, and there's no other means by which... Uh, an explanation could result in an explanation of this bending of space. Be nice if that was the case, but you know it <laughs> yeah. doesn't. It's it's it doesn't work that way. Oh, science man. is harder than that. Right? Science is hard. <laughs> so surely the fulfillment of such scientific prophecies, proper, uh, prophecies count 
he tells us, <laughs> as some kind of support. After all, if you didn't observe what general relativity predicted, then you'd know immediately that the theory wasn't true, right? Well, not necessarily. <laughs> really like this theory. In fact, I, I've got millions of government dollars invested in this theory being yeah. correct. Yeah. I, I need to make this atom bomb, or or uh, you know, the, uh, we're going to start speaking German, and uh, the the this. Uh, Einstein can already speak it, so yeah. I, I, I really hope that this is true. So he says, even on that score, things are to us so simple. He says, to be sure, it seems reasonable to think that it's easier to kill a theory than support it. Our failed prediction should do the job. You discover that light doesn't bend. Well, then, general re relativity is obviously wrong. After all, this is one way in which theories, in fact, die. They fail to match observations. But, he says, recall the process by which we discovered the planet Neptune. Remember that process, mm -hmm. right? Notice, uh, this, as it turns out, is just how Neptune was actually discovered. The Newtonian theory predicted that Urania, uh, Uranus should have an observation that it clearly didn't have. Uranus was not doing what the theory said <laughs> it was supposed to be doing, right? It was acting up. It was, it was failing our predictions based on the theory. So why then, here's the question, right? Why didn't those uh, astronomers that observed that this uh, planet wasn't doing what the theory was, was supposed to be doing, why didn't they conclude that the Newtonian physics is just wrong? And we throw Newton out. Or the fact that we can know things and have dependability and have reliability that things are the same today as they were yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So there are all kinds of yeah. right, issues. So why didn't they just throw the theory out? It, clearly, we have now uh, a counterexample of what the theory is supposed to do. We have a failed prediction. We have an object that not is acting with accord <laughs> to what the theory tells us it should do. So we should get rid of the theory. It makes sense, right? The theory must be wrong. Right. Notice that is not what they did. They did not throw out the theory. They did not say Newton is wrong. They did not say let's start all over, right? <laughs> Scientists, he says, don't immediately give up a theory the moment trouble arises. There are usually heroic attempts to save the theory. Mm -hmm. And this is a good thing, he says, right? If scientists threw away a theory, the instance that it didn't agree with observations, no theory would get off the ground. Yeah. So let, let's, let's take this out of the, the sky and put it on the ground. You, you, uh, you have a guy that you're looking at for the, the murder. He's looking good. He's got motive. He's got means. Uh, oh, but the opportunity, he, he, uh, he's got a waitress that says he was at the club at the time that the murder take place. Well, scratch him off the list. There's no reason to investigate further. The theory is dead, uh, like your victim, and you have to find another suspect. Yeah. Oh, except you bring the waitress in, and she was actually paid off by the, yeah. the husband. Or either she's his girlfriend. Or, yeah, yeah. There's, there's many theories that, that would cause you not to uh, invalidate it and, and to, to continue on. You're, you're going to look for maybe other, other means of, of, of explanation that will help reinforce your theory by saying, oh, well, um, here's, here's uh, an experiment that we did incorrectly or uh, had uh, wrong assumptions going into it uh, so that uh, we were looking for uh, X, but we got Y, uh, but we shouldn't have uh, expected either of them. Or so. our calculations were wrong, mm -hmm. right, right? In fact, when there's a mismatch, uh, 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 Mitch tells us, um, between theory and observation, it's usually the scientists 
himself that's blamed, not the theory, <laughs> right? You did something wrong. You need to recalculate, right. right? And look at that again, right? And that sort of thing. So it's extremely difficult to kill off a theory, especially yeah. when it's kind of solid in the scientific community. And people seem to name things after the, themselves, and so it's really hard to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, <think>. that's right. <laughs> right. So that's that's an issue. So that's what makes that's another thing that makes science hard, right? You get you get entrenched in a theory, and now there's something wrong. Now what do you do? Do you kill off the theory, or do you fight for the theory and see if you can come up with something else? And sometimes there are other things going on, as we saw with you know, these various mm-hmm. additions of planetary bodies based on a failed, you know, observation or prediction about an observation. The other, the next thing that makes science hard, he tells us, is that theories are never tested by themselves. Yeah. Right? Uh, um, he says, um, this is because we never tr- uh, tr- test a theory by itself. Every experiment is really a test of an entire web of beliefs a web including far more than just the theory. The sentence, if theory T is true, then we will get observation O contains a multitude of hidden um, complications, right? The antecedent to the conditional, so the if-then statement is Mm -hmm. a conditional statement. The antecedent to it, which is the if portion, the first portion, right? So the antecedent of the conditional statement, the if-then statement, is really a conjunction or a collection of assumptions, right? So if uh, T and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, then we'll get observation O, right? So that's what he means by a collection of assumptions. So it's not merely if, if theory T is true. We're uh, really assuming something more like if is true and we perform the experiment uh, the experiment correctly and so on and so forth so this additional belief or condition is called auxiliary hypotheses so these are auxiliary hypotheses that we need to take into consideration when we're considering if theory t is true then we'll make this observation but we're not just saying if theory t uh, is true we're making all kinds of auxiliary hypotheses Mm -hmm. that are attached to the if portion of that conditional statement, right, that uh, that uh, we need to take into consideration. So there, there's nuance in our theory, and so uh, when uh, we allow people to make sweeping generalizations uh, about uh, a theory that we like, we always say, oh, no, well, th- there's, there's more to it than that. Right. And right. so uh, <laughs> by people trying to generalize too broadly, you know, um, uh, uh, let's take uh, our theory, for example. Uh, God exists. Well, if God exists, then evil can't exist. Well, well, you're you're talking too broadly. Uh, you're let, let's let's assume that God is able to use evil for his purposes. So uh, that doesn't uh, the presence of evil doesn't negate God. And so my my theory of God existing can still stand even in the presence of evil. Yeah, yeah, good. So he gives us an example of auxiliary hypotheses, and then he takes another step. And he talks about background beliefs <laughs> that are part of theories as well. So the example of auxiliary hypotheses, he says, uh, if the, uh, let's take a, if the sample in the beaker is ethanol, then the sample will boil at 78.5 Celsius uh, degrees Celsius. So this is actually something closer to if the sample in the beaker, and here's the, here's the example he's given us, if the sample, sample in, the, in the beaker is ethanol, 
and that the thermometer is working properly and my glassware is clean and the sample is not contaminated <laughs> and the air condition in the lab is normal and so on, then the sample will boil at 78 right. 0.5 degrees Celsius, right? Mm -hmm. So all those ends are considered auxiliary hypotheses that are have to be taken into account, or at least we just assume are there with regard to this particular mm -hmm. theory. So, so, uh, so those these are these are often hidden because we don't pay attention to these. We don't think about these, right? Yeah, we, uh, we don't disprove Newtonian mechanics incorrect by saying. Uh, uh, some scientists launched a probe at uh, at Mars and missed it by a factor of 170 million. <laughs> uh, we also say, oh, what they should do is also use the same metrics. Yeah. So Celsius and Fahrenheit are two different things. Meters, uh, kilometers, miles. and miles, yeah. uh, are, I would say, are miles in, in difference. So um, th there's the assumption that if those things were to to be held as as uh, constant, so utilizing one form of of metrics, um, you would be able to hit Mars uh, using uh, st just the the way that we've been doing it since the old days. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's one kind of auxiliary hypothesis. Another kind we might call these background beliefs. He says uh, there are more auxiliary hypotheses hidden in the and so on. For one thing, um, obviously enough, for instance, the laws of logic must hold. Right, and other things must be true. There must be a world that behaves consistently. Mathematics must be uh, reliable to allow at truths about the world. Supernatural beings can't be intervening in the world willy-nilly. The future must resemble the past. Okay. Scientific laws must hold at at all times and everywhere throughout the universe. We're not, uh, you know. Uh, having hallucinations mm -hmm. or the, under the influence of psychotropic drugs and so on and so on. These beliefs are at peace and uh, confirm or disconfirm together. So these we might call background beliefs about the way the world is. So the one we had auxiliary hypotheses about what was going on with regard to experiment. Mm -hmm. Now he gives us a bunch of background beliefs about the way the world is. And again, we have to take into these things, you know, are part of what's going on. So we say, you know, if theory T is true and this whole list of auxiliary hypotheses and this whole list of background beliefs, <laughs> right? Then, right, we'll get observation O. That's a long ways to get there. <laughs> yeah, right. So then we never test theories in isolation. Right. When we test theories, we really te we're really testing them with all the relevant background beliefs, auxiliary hypotheses, and all those things uh, simultaneously, mm -hmm. right? Or to put the point in a different way, our theory is more than the scientific theory. Right. No one, he says, Einstein wrote of the uh, uh, no one of the assumptions can be isolated for separate separate testing. So this all inclusive view of testing is called confirmational holism. Right. And uh, and it's um, and to complicate matters, he says, when we get to a theory observation mismatch, we often don't know <laughs> which of the auxiliary hypotheses or the background beliefs even. Right is the bad apple or whether the entire batch is spoiled. Right. right. So it could be the theory, but you don't really want to give up the theory. It's a really good theory. You named yeah. it after yourself. Yeah. Uh, but you, 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 
reran the experiment 16 times and it all came out to the same but maybe there's some background information maybe maybe god did take that probe <laughs> and and just move it over a little bit maybe if i allow god in and he works a miracle on this one then i won't get fired from my job i can say god did it and they're like well all right we that, that would be a god of yeah. the gaps argument right well, yeah, that one would be. yeah but i'm desperate i really want to work for, for nasa <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so we we have to yeah so and so th- we don't give up on theories uh, because we have all of these uh, auxiliary hypotheses and background um, you know uh, beliefs that we can pick on if indeed the theory isn't uh, doesn't meet what what our predictions say mm-hmm. should meet right and so that's what happened with regard to you know Uranus and uh, Neptune right the theory did not do uh, the predictions did not do what the theory told us they should do well we didn't throw out the theory mm-hmm. right we began to look at auxiliary hypotheses yeah. we and the background beliefs yeah. right that sort of thing <laughs> to see if we could save the theory mm-hmm. in light of the observations that seem to falsify the theory that we found yeah. right and so yeah so um, theories are never tested by themselves right they're tested in conjunction with all of these other Mm -hmm. things right and then he says that uh, in theory any theory can be in theory any theory can be saved we can always save a theory from counter evidence why because there's so many different uh you know uh, uh permutations on the equipment being off or, or, or uh, the, your, your background assumptions, you can tweak any of those or question any of those to, in order to save it. Well, I'm, I'm not wrong that, uh, that I can get the, the probe to Mars. Um, I, I, I must have set the temperature gauge wrong. I uh, know I checked that. <laughs> let's, let's keep going through. Oh, I, I, I must have uh, uh, converted meters to, to, to miles incorrectly. And so uh, he says, uh, we, we, we can mo- modify nearly any other belief, assuming we're willing to go far enough. Right. No statement is immune to revision, probably even that statement. As well. <laughs> revision, even of logical laws, which we see as even a possibility within quantum mechanics. And so... Laws uh, of logic? I, I, I mean, you know, I, Wait, I really want to save, I really want to save quantum mechanics. I, I, want, I want the 222 dimensions, <laughs> and I will do anything almost anything to, to say it uh including um uh, uh you know uh tinker with the laws of logic yeah yeah uh, uh, sometimes blue is red <laughs> so we can even alter the laws of logic to make a theory fit observation which uh um, quantum mechanics may uh, allow us to do yeah um and so uh we close up by saying uh we, how do we view skepticism in this uh, scientific matter? Matter, um, we say uh, nothing in this chapter uh, that we covered is an argument that science is an extremely impressive human achievement, which is clearly the case because right. we're talking to you from uh, a camera and microphones that are able to capture our voice and sound reasonably similar to what we're doing. So that's pretty impressive. Nor does it say anything else that compels us to think that science doesn't get at the truth behind the scenes of appearances rather this chapter is an opening salvo against uber optimism that often accompanies contemporary atheism mm. like science explains it that that's it that mm. that's all we do the, right. the theory of evolution is true there's there's it's nothing science. else that that's that it. yep uh, uh we we did the testing it's fine we looked 
uh, you know, no God here, uh, as, as uh, Yuri Gagarin said when he when he uh, was the first man in space. I, I saw no God. Um, so as he breathed air, and, you know, and, and was able to come back down, yeah. and, and uh, was able to make statements. That's right. Uh, so so uh, he's he's saying that there's lots of room for skepticism. My goal is to encourage calm, level-headed appreciation of science. And this chapter gives us insights into the workings that it's not this photoshopped uh, white lab coats, uh, squeaky clean everything, uh, but that uh, sometimes and and, and uh, you know uh, sometimes uh, science has its uh, jets and sharks. Sometimes <laughs> it's got you know the 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 people that really want to hold on to geocentrism versus those darn Copernicans. Um, so uh, he finishes up and says, uh, to be sure, reason and observation are key players, but to think that science is more objective uh, than it is would be to court trouble. And certainly it isn't uh, in accord with the robust and proper skepticism stance, which we want. Uber optimism takes neither skepticism nor science seriously, but sober skepticism appreciates both. All right, so he makes this distinction then between sober skepticism, which he wants us to be sober skeptics, right? That's the goal here. And he says uber optimism about science uh, isn't the way that we want to do, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, science said it. Okay, that's it. We'll just go forward. Right. No, 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 no. Right? We need to be sober skeptics. But notice he says the other ditch that he wants us to avoid is uh uber skepticism, right. right? We shouldn't be overly skeptical as well. Right, that there's mm -hmm. a fine, there's a there's a there's a road between these two ditches of uber optimism and mm -hmm. uber skepticism about science that he wants us to walk on. Right, right? And, and let's apply this to uh, our own worldview as as Christians. Uh, we have to have this understanding that uh, for the majority, uh, scientists tends to assume naturalism, which means that there's only the natural world. So even even your own mind that you think is a personality that you may ascribe the soul to. Uh, those are just chemicals firing. Um, your love for your wife is just uh, the ability to associate a familiar feeling uh, with higher levels of uh, uh, all the fun stuff that, that <laughs> being around your sweetheart gets you. Um, but we, we exist in a worldview uh, as Christians that says uh, God upholds the universe. Uh, he is the one that creates meaning. Uh, the laws of logic exist because um, that's how God thinks. Morality exists because um, the it's, it, it's, it's, it's out of God's character that he mm -hmm. declares these things, and we're able to know them because he communicates those things. Uh, sometimes uh, when we interact with science and scientists, they don't have that worldview, which we would consider a basic worldview. And so how you look at the universe as ordered and structured and able to know things and uh, want to present truthful claims and the ability to continue on and 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 find these new discoveries. I mean, there there is a reason why big scientific achievements, and I think the, this is probably more personal than anything, um, is discovered by um, Christians in a Western world. And I think it's it's one of those reasons that um, we have a a proper understanding of how the universe exists. Now to say that. Uh, uh, atheists or people without that worldview can't create discoveries or anything like that. But um, the, the Christianity has a long track record of discovering things, e even things that seem to to be co-opted by, um, by, uh, by by atheists or mm -hmm. evolutionary worldview. Um, survival of the fittest, 
Christian, uh, MRI, Christian. I mean, all, all these things, uh, calculus, um, you, you can make a claim for who exactly discovered calculus, but uh, Newton was, uh, he would claim a Christian. So Leibniz was too, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of people back then yeah. uh, that uh, that had that, that similar claim. And and so when, when we approach um, uh, any claim made by anybody, we need to understand that the worldview is the first sense in which we come upon it and we look at observations that we we make and we have certain underlying assumptions and people with widely different worldviews come to um, different conclusions or shouldn't operate in uh, with with the the the, um, the findings that they come about so uh, how does how does a naturalist explain um, the ability to know today the sun will rise and tomorrow the sun will rise and each day will without will, a non-circular will, argument. yeah with, with with a justification for it yeah and a so, good justification yeah. right and so um so when when we approach these things and we're just leveled well science said it or uh oh you know uh, it's not being very logical we have to realize that worldview matters and so presuppositionalism that that we ascribe to um um takes into account those factors and 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 it's one of the reasons why i think we appreciate um we appreciate that because um it's kind of one of the first things that you go through uh when you approach brute facts or whatever if if even those things exist and so um it's very important to recognize that uh, worldviews do matter and we should um, always be uh, looking at ours and others as well Good. Yeah, well said. All right, so real science is hard. Yeah, all kinds of stuff that goes into it, right? And but and so as a result of that, we don't Photoshop it, and we don't uh, we don't fall into the uber optimism <laughs> about you know science tells us exactly what every the truth and and so be it and you know whatever science says that's what truth is and that's the only way to get it truth and no that's necessarily the case. We need to be sober skeptics about science because of how difficult. Yeah. One one of the reasons, anyway, is because of how difficult it yeah. is, right? Oh, but it's difficult. But science will win in the end. And how can you uh, possibly argue with the positive benefits of science? So, yes, okay, it may be hard. It may not be as straightforward. But um, you know, you can't argue with the results. So, right. um, you know, and I think that's what Mitch uh, Stokes wants yeah. us to take a look at next time. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. How do you argue with success? Yeah. Right. That's the next chapter, chapter seven, that's coming up. And so we will see you next time, and we'll dive into Chapter 7 and uh, take a look at what it has to tell us. And remember to share, like, subscribe, comment, uh, do all the things to, to get the show um, out there to more people. And um, um, we interact with people uh, through the website, caveofthecross.com. And uh, even uh, I try to answer those terrible uh, YouTube comments that you're never supposed to interact with. So um, uh, see me out there and also Facebook, Twitter. Um, all those things, all the links can be found at uh, cave to the cross .com. Thank you, and uh, have a great day. Yep, see you next time.